The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In this episode I'm chatting with Lulu who shares the story of her first daughter Ayla's birth. Lulu shares a gorgeous tale of Ayla's conception and the moment that she found out that she was pregnant. She went through quite a few different models of care before finally deciding at 38 weeks pregnant to hire a private midwife and birth at home. She then goes on to share Ayla's labour and birth which didn't follow the expected progression of labour and came with some unusual challenges. We also talk postpartum and specifically about the huge emotional and spiritual shift that takes place in the weeks and months following birth and the fears that came up for Lulu during that time. She has asked me to clarify some detail which she forgot to mention in her birth story, which is that part of the issues she was having with lack of choice and pressure to be induced in the hospital system was because Ayla was measuring quite small during pregnancy. Lulu's partner is Indian and has a very slight frame, and Ayla was born at 2.8 kilos, which is average size for a Tamil baby, but a bit small for a Caucasian Anglo baby. She was aware that this was probably the case and felt that her baby was perfectly sized and safe to be born at home and post-dates. And with that said, I hope you enjoy Lulu's story. Hi Lulu, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks so much, Indy, for having me here. <laughs> and we've just um, we're just in day one of another stage four lockdown, five days. So this feels like a really beautiful thing to be able to be sneaking in on the first day. It's a yeah, real pleasure to be here chatting with you. <laughs> yes, what a perfect what a perfect phase for podcasts <laughs> yeah. when we're when we're locked down, locked in. Yes, very true. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family with the listeners? Certainly. So, uh, so my name's Lulu, and my I, ha- I have a, a really I have a really varied history of interests and passions and I've I've had a lot to do with children you know over the the decades of my life and whether it be through school teaching and overseas travels lots of volunteering uh very lots of charity work actually in developing countries and I've facilitated women's embodiment you know connection to intuition and really self trusting as well and now I work in mental health 
And I have a beautiful partner named B and an almost three-year-old named Ayla. And it's Ayla's birth story that I'll be sharing today. <clears throat> and uh, I'm four months pregnant now too. So so being part of this podcast is this, is this magical and uh, beautiful remembering and therapy really <laughs> for, for preparing for this next birth and yeah and, and healing and celebrating Ayla's birth yeah mm, amazing <laughs> and yeah we might head back to falling pregnant with Ayla how was she a planned conception or how did that pregnancy come about so little Ayla was very was a very planned conception and I I recall, goodness, I, I recall, yeah, when we, we intentionally called her in uh, and it was quite a, yeah, it was quite a ritualised experience and, I mean, I've, I've certainly wanted to be a mama of my own, you know, biological little ones for a very, very long time and, and have been, you know, a mama, mama role or mama archetype for in many ways too, even as a child, you know, I can see ways that I've played the mama, played the mama role in different ways. So the conception of Ayla, I had a really amazing team, just as I, as I have had with this current um, little bub in utero. But acupuncture and Chinese medicine <clears throat> and and really uh, feeling the team and partnership with my partner B to to bring this little one in. So I was I was actually thirty nine at the time when we conceived Ayla and it was. I think the the general, and it, it's a very strong cultural narrative. We have a strong narrative that uh, there's just so many risks for you know in inverted commas older women getting pregnant, and I mean even just the term geriatric pregnancy, <laughs> for meaning for for any woman over the age of 35 <clears throat> who conceives and is pregnant. So. Uh, there was, you know, there definitely was some fear and some angst in the process of conceiving. Will it happen? Will will, will everything be all right? And um, and also at the same time, trusting that that you know, for for many many generations, uh, women have conce been conceiving, and and I can too. So, I mean, you know, fast forward to. Fast forward to now, I've conceived at 42. So I feel really grateful to my body and the, the health of my body, the health of my partner's body and and also the, the spiritual aspect and the wonder and the magic of, of conception too. So I think I'm sharing that little part of the story to, you know, inspire and, in, and empower women that there just is so much often there is just so much more that is possible beyond 
what the cultural narrative shares with us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah, once you – did it take long to fall pregnant and how did you feel when you, um, yeah, got that positive test? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, so uh, what a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful memory. So <clears throat> when uh, we conceived on the fifth cycle, like once there was a, you know, a full yes, we're really on board as a team, my partner and I, we we were in, intentionally con- wanting to conceive for, yeah, five cycles and we hit the jackpot on the fifth. And, yeah, I remember, uh, you know, it would have been early morning and I weed on a pregnancy stick two days before my period w- was due. And I saw this faint second line and I just immediately started like blubbering and, and crying and <laughs> took photos and <laughs> sent them to my mum and sister. Can you see this? Can you see this? Is this my imagination? <laughs> and then I, yeah, then I left the bathroom and just lay on the bed just crying and crying and crying. I feel emotional even now, like crying with the relief and the, magic of wow two lines like never in my life have I seen two Mm. lines before this is just epic two tiny lines just have you know so much meaning oh wow Mm. (laughs) tears are here (laughs) so and then my partner came in and he was like babe what's wrong are you okay (laughs) and I'm waving the stick around and it was like, wow, wow, he did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was in a bit of, you know, disbelief as well. Yeah. yeah so beautiful. Very powerful. Um, very, very special time. Yeah. 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 So lovely. <laughs> and, um, I guess, you know, five months is totally within the realms of, of normal, you know, but also it is a little while to be, to be actively trying and, and you know, not seeing those lines for four months, so it must have been, yeah, such a joyful and relieving moment for you. Absolutely, absolutely, and it, it, it's it's such a process, a process of yeah, tr- trusting and self belief, and really noticing the, the numerous times that I felt myself tripping up and becoming, yeah, and and feeling doubt you know in the doubt in the mix so Mm. yeah really really special and and the the more that I live and the more that I learn about the power of belief and our thinking and what's possible when we like truly believe at our core in whatever we're wanting to create whether it's a baby or something else is just so many, so many gifts to ourselves, and of course our, you know, um, inner circles and beyond. That ripple effect is really, is really powerful. You know, I've, I've, it's a relatively new experience for me learning about the incredible wonder of quantum physics. Like, there's a lot more energetically here than, than probably most of us, you know, 
no. Yeah. So another little like piece of golden wisdom in there to, to mamas or families that are wanting to conceive that there's so much more that we can do other than the, the, the very obvious sort of physical side of preparing to conceive, but the, yeah, the, the, the spiritual and the energetic aspect as well. Mm. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, how, how did you go in that first sort of three months? Did you have any, any symptoms come up or any morning sickness or, yeah, how are, you, how are you feeling in that first three months? It can be quite a challenging time as well as being very beautiful. Yes, well, uh, I actually didn't experience a, a great deal of, uh, you know, morning sickness. I I remember being quite hungry in those first three months, <laughs> extra hungry. I remember having a very, very sensitive sense of smell for strong foods and, and feeling an aversion to really strong smelling foods. But, you know, I didn't have vomiting or... or diarrhea or headaches or anything like that it was you know quite it was quite smooth I, I was able to rest as much as I needed and uh, I definitely remember feeling feeling more tired than usual and and once that you know 12 week mark hit I remember this surge of energy you know like placenta complete and then off we go you know, I really felt so much more energized in that second second trimester and it's interesting it's been a, a somewhat similar pattern with this with this baby in utero now um, feeling very blessed that that my first trimester um, hasn't been um, really challenging mm. yeah yeah, definitely. It takes a lot of work to grow a placenta and people don't talk about that bit quite so much as just as the morning sickness, but the constant exhaustion is really mm. hard, really challenging. Mm. Yeah, and um, before you fell pregnant, did you have any idea about how you would like to birth or, um, you know, or did that sort of desire to have a home birth come up once you'd already fallen pregnant? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question and it was quite a process to come to that point of, re of really choosing a home birth. It did not happen, you know, did not happen in, a, in an instant and I wouldn't even, uh, yeah, I wouldn't even say that the, the idea of home birthing had been there for many years prior. I um, had heard about, I have various um, medicos in my family and I'd heard from my mum, who's a nurse, that there was a hospital in Melbourne that had a, a, a program where there's a consistent midwife, you know, given throughout any woman's pregnancy. And so that sounded, you know, appealing. And so very soon after finding out I was pregnant and seeing my GP, I, I booked into that hospital. <clears throat> but... There were uh, various experiences across over my pregnancy where I realised that the hospital experience was not aligned 
with what it was that I was needing and wanting. And um, I mean, for, for instance, the, the consistent midwife program that I thought I was being part of, I, I was part of that hospital for so many weeks. I don't know, maybe I got to 23 weeks and I still hadn't had a consistent midwife. <laughs> so I was waiting, you know, and waiting and, and I was told, look, it may happen, but if you don't get into that program, then you'll go, you know, down to the sort of most standard tier of hospital birthing. And, and it, they were unsure as to when that would, decision would be made. So that was when I heard about a hospital a hospital home birth program. So it's a fully fully government funded program. And I so I moved across to them at twenty eight weeks. I was accepted into the program and and I really felt uh, very content with being part of that program and I felt that I would have all the benefits of home birthing because by that point I'd certainly learnt a lot through reading uh, Rhea Dempsey's work, attending a workshop, Inema Gaskin's work, Sarah Buckley, watching the most incredible documentaries like Business of Being Born, uh, Face of Birth, Microbirth. Gosh, we just have so much available to us if, you know, if, if, we're, if anyone's wanting to learn more about natural birthing <clears throat> and the powers of it. So, uh Interestingly, though, what I found in this publicly funded, like, hospital home birth program is that there was, there was a surprising amount of restrictions on, on me. Um, and the closer I got to, I think by this stage I was 38 weeks, oh, um, okay. I was, I was realising that, that, well, yet another sort of experience of me feeling like corralled into um, agreeing to something that I didn't really fully agree to and hadn't and did not feel that I was fully informed. So at 38 weeks, I had a hospital visit for my hospital home birth with a program that I was part of and I was walked down the hallway and told that it's best that I write my name in the induction book calendar because if I choose the date, it'll likely be later than if the hospital chooses the date at a later point when there'll be less, you know, induction times available in the calendar. And I, I did write my name in that calendar and... And that was the that that was that was a really like it was a critical point for me when I got home or when I just got to the car and, and burst into tears. Like, what am I doing? How did that happen? How did that happen? I thought I was part of a like a home birth program. And <clears throat> it was a big learning experience in really taking that leap to an independent midwife and to have have a, a home birth program that I was funding because that's what I was realising. Along the way, although there's no financial like money cost to a hospital home birth program, there are there are other costs and and 
and they are the, the various rules and restrictions, you know, that govern um, a normal hospital, usual hospital births. <clears throat> and did so, you, um, just to just to jump in there, did you feel like um, the midwives or and the team that you had through the hospital program, like potentially you would be um, more likely to be susceptible to them stepping in and um, switching you to a hospital birth because of your age? Was that something that they saw as being a risk factor or was it not really an issue? Yes, that was part of it. That was part of it. And and that was only mentioned at it would have been 37 and a half weeks from a from a um, a, a particular you know staff member that I hadn't met before and she she started at that point talking about the the possible risks and concerns of my age it hadn't been mentioned in the 10 weeks prior and that really feels like coercion and uninformed consent when that hasn't been part of your care up until then and it's only when they feel that it's just about too late for you to make any other choice that they start talking about those things that's yeah that must have been really horrible that's right that's right and and usually the hospital home birth program will allow a woman to go to 42 weeks and once 42 weeks hits that that's you know induction time but the at 37 and a half weeks I mean I I, I wrote my name in an induction at, at 40 weeks at, at 40 weeks yeah right. I wrote it in at 40 weeks because um, there were there, there were con there were concerns, you know, about my about my age, and so, uh, gosh, I look back on that time and I think, wow, you know, I was really preparing to descend right into that, you know, incredible experience of labouring the actual birthing pay phase post pregnancy, and it was. It was very hard to because of the uncertainty um, where the, the hospital was saying, we're just not sure if we'll allow you to go to 40 weeks or even 41 weeks or even 42 weeks. We, we need to like keep a, a, assessing with time. But I'm not sure how that assessment was happening because I wasn't, I wasn't having, you know, additional ultrasounds or anything, you know, beyond – beyond 38 weeks, it was very, it was very ambiguous and that was my main, um, my main concern and really I had this deep desire to want to, you know, switch off the world and like traverse and descend into my labouring experience with as little cortisol, stress hormone in my system. <laughs> you know, as possible. <laughs> so I attended an incredible uh, mother's group, really soulful mother's group. Lots of home birthers had happened to attend. Um, they often attend that group, but it was the only time that I attended back then. And uh, Belinda Henkel was recommended to me and I, I actually phoned Belinda, perhaps we talked the next day, and I booked her on the phone. So we, I just had such a I had such a connection with her on the phone and such a deep sense of partnership and her really 
um, honoring and listening to what it is that I wanted, you know, for myself and for this baby. And she was just so supportive. So, yeah, from 38 weeks, I was, you know, <laughs> officially like a full home, a home birther with a, with a fully independent midwife. And little Miss Ayla ended up coming naturally at 42 weeks, five days. Wow. So <laughs> she well and truly <laughs> enjoyed the, uh, the cooking in utero experience. And, and uh, yeah, I don't recall in those final weeks feeling really – I didn't feel uncomfortably, you know, enormous. I did not have that feeling of – get this baby out you know now it was this uh deep gratitude that I'm still in the wonders of pregnancy (laughs) Mm. and that this baby has an intelligence um you know an innate and ancestral intelligence and she will choose you know when her for instance her lungs have matured and when those hormones set off a certain, you know, um, a domino effect for, for labour to, to begin. So um, I felt really, felt really good to, to allow, you know, a baby to, for her to choose, yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm. And um, in that later stage of pregnancy, did you have any kind of health concerns come up or, um, yeah, what kind of monitoring or... Um, you know, ultrasounds and things did you choose as the pregnancy progressed and and when you, um, in those kind of final weeks when you had passed the due date? So I had various appointments. I had frequent appointments with Belinda to my home and uh, I didn't have any ultrasounds beyond 38 weeks, uh, certainly checking of baby's heart, heart rate with a Doppler and, and you know, uterus size, that sort of manual manual check that midwives can do. And, uh, yeah, that was that – was, I mean, I, I certainly tried other things to bring labour on, like my um, Chinese – my acupuncturist, uh, moxa, sticks. Oh, gosh, this really takes me back now, but there's <laughs> tea – you know, a, um, various types of oils, um, you know, that could be that could be swallowed and and, and massaged on. So, yeah. Uh, but but as for checking, mainly mainly Doppler and and midwife visits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And your other and Bub was healthy. You know, Bub was healthy and happy and and strong and descending. You know, as as we would expect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, um, yeah, so you reached 42 weeks and five days and then how did labour begin for you? Well, it was just so, <laughs> it was just so epic. <laughs> we, we uh, it was 2am, it was 2am and I woke up to the most, I mean, I still call it the three hours of power <laughs> because it was this, epic experience of three hours of um, what what seemed to be um, fairly cr- close surges openings and 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 very intense 
um, I was leaning over the bed. We had a mattress on the floor where my, my knees were resting on and I was leaning over the, you know, usual sort of raised bed with each with each contraction and I would lie down on the mattress between. But there were I was I was I was shaking a lot. I remember now in retrospect not even having time to feel fear because the, because the intensity was so great. And and I as there were times in that three hours of power where I was leaning over the bed and I felt um, my 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 pelvis bones opening from the back like was it and I never felt that again in labor and the labor ended up being you know 38 hours but the the intensity of that of those three hours of power was just oh was just absolutely epic and then I um I actually had a had a snooze for five hours after that so, so not your textbook labour. <laughs> I mean, I may have had some light contractions during that time, but in retrospect, you know, having having talked to Belinda, we she she wonders if if a great deal of my dilation happened in in the three hours of power, and um, but the perhaps I wasn't quite. 10 centimetres and the, you know, natural ejection reflex, you know, didn't happen at that point. But there was, in the following 38 hours, there was quite a lot of downtime. You know, there was a lot of laughter and storytelling and, and some intense uh, surges during that time, lots of wiggling on the gym ball. Um, having done Rhea Dempsey's workshop, we had, I was walking up and down steps, wiggling on the gym ball. Um, you know, really moving my pelvis to to help baby and me get into the best, you know, position for optimal birth. We had a birth pool as well, but and my darling mama and sister were there as well on the on the birth team. But a lot of that time was, from my memory of it anyway, was downtime. You know, um, so. I mean, and another, I, I just would, it would not have been the same uh, experience, I know, had I been, you know, in hospital or, or induced, my body would would not have, things would have been very different. <laughs> things, <laughs> things would have been very, very different, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And do you feel like, I'm kind of curious, you know, starting off with it being so intense at the beginning and, you sort of said you didn't have time to kind of, um, you know, be thinking about what was happening because it was so intense, but then you had a lot of downtime afterwards. Mm. Were you kind of aware and and conscious of the fact that your labour was not progressing, you know, the way that you probably had been imagining that it would based on, yeah, what's, what's kind of the usual progression or were you just in the moment and, um, you know, kind of just riding it as it came? I was aware. I was definitely aware that um, this wasn't this wasn't textbook, uh, you know. And and my and my midwife Belinda was 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 checking, you know, Bubba's heart heart rate regularly and descent and and there was there was no issues on that front, you know. Um, 
there's some of the real like other standout memories of the of the experience were <clears throat> that in in some of the, you know, the more intense parts of labour, this is beyond the three hours of power, I I experienced, I was experiencing physical intensity, but the, um, but I think that, that my pain was sort of uh, being transferred to, to other parts of my body. So, and I have not heard any woman say this, before this is very unusual but I throughout my pregnancy I had some eczema on one of my ankles and I found that during some parts of labor I just um, needed my ankle massage so hard and so so deep because I was really like um, I guess I was, I, was, I was irritated but I was also finding it very um, like quite painful the, the eczema mm. on my ankle so my darling sister was using all her force into my into my ankle you know a, a, a lot that's a real memory <laughs> a real memory of mine and um you know and a reminder to myself for this next birth coming but for, for other mamas that the way that we ha can handle or manage the intensity and and sometimes even the the pain of labour can be really unusual, and of course the power of breath um, was incredibly, just so incredibly important. Especially the the exhaling to manage to to manage the the intensity. It was I think the the intensity that happened during labour was far more than I had ever imagined. That intensity, um, you know, would would be. But I, there was also a phase in labour where my contractions were quite far apart, and I, um, I had been going to the toilet, walking to the toilet, weighing between each contraction. And then my sister said, "Hey, do you want to like do you want a bucket to weigh in so you're not walking from, you know, room to room?" But Belinda said, "Look, you know, if you can keep walking, that'd be a great thing. Like, just keep moving your pelvis." <laughs> you know? And that's another beautiful reminder that, you know, to really work with baby and with like positioning and with the hormones, if we can keep moving that pelvis and opening mm -hmm. that opening that pelvis so um there came a point where I couldn't wee anymore and yet I was drinking just so much water wanting to drink so much water and drinking a, a really hydrating cold tea that a friend had dropped around that was the best oh definitely <laughs> you know that's a top tip to have something delicious and hydrating to keep drinking and 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 another side tip is to use a drink bottle that you don't need to actually pick up with any with either hand. It's just got a mm -hmm. giant straw to really slurp back as much as you as you wish. So I was filling up on, you know, liquid, but I wasn't weighing, and I think that just brought this incredible amount of pressure, you know, on my insides. 
and I wanted to wean. I was getting a butt massage to, you know, relax, <laughs> relax my butt, just let it, just let it flow and have some relief. And what seemed like forever went on with this um, phase of, you know, high tension um, and frustration. And then there was a point where I was just on all fours and I, uh, and it all came at once. So I, I spewed out my mouth, <laughs> I weed, and I think, we're not 100% sure, but I think my water's broke at the same time. Oh, so wow. it was, you know, it was cataclysmic. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, such an almighty relief. Like, oh, what a relief. <laughs> You know, there was um, if I if it was my water's breaking, I hadn't. There was no meconium, and 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 I was really able to move to a new stage. And I I think my body was. Um, I mean, it's not surprising. My like emotionally, I was feeling stuck and agitated and sort of paralysed, and and physically. That was all the same. I wasn't able to wee. I felt a great deal of like physical tension, you know, all over. And um, what a beautiful way of the like body communicating to me that (laughs) something needs to happen and just to do my best to allow that to that to happen. So I definitely moved on to the next the next phase where there was more walking around the house. Loved the hot shower. Um, on my on my lower back, I remember feeling a lot of heat in my body, and even looking at photos, I'm often like a just beetroot red in my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a it was a very hot hot business um, birthing, yeah. Mm. And I think something else I wanted to really share was, um, you know, one of my experiences I guess it's a lot through the through the embodiment work that I've been exploring for many years but also being part of um, shamanic explorations as well in fact I went on a one-week retreat when I was 28 weeks pregnant and it was a deep shamanic journey and I because that's something that has really influenced my life, not surprising, it, it actually showed up in the, the birth and there was a point near the end of the labour where I, I was into this, my, my brain was in, a, in another realm, you know, another, another place, the hormones and neurotransmitters of, of birthing and I um, saw these, gates in the room it was it was a vision right in my head but I saw these gates and and that was sort of beckoning me to go through and I remember um you know it even brings me to tears a bit like I remember thinking but I'm not going through I'm I'm not I'm not going through those gates (laughs) you know (laughs) I'm not going through and you know the it's some sort of communication, with, but you have to go through on your own, you know. Mm. No birth team can go through these gates. of, And, you know, of course, looking back now, I'm like, wow, they're the gates of, like, transition. It's the gates of from new chapter to, 
from old chapter to new chapter, from, you know, there's birth and death and the whole, there's this incredible cycle that's about to end and, and about to begin. And they actually looked like the gates of Valhalla. So the gates to, I don't know if it's heaven or hell in that Vikings film I watched, you know, like <laughs> it would have been eight years prior or something. <laughs> the strangest things, you know, come to mind from even if it's from, you know, many moons prior. So, I mean, that, and that it was very helpful for me to have learnt about the crisis of confidence that Rhea Dempsey so often talks about where, you know, close to that like full dilation of the cervix, there can be, you know, these, these birthing women can become little girls and, and, and scared and doubtful and, um, and feeling that uh, not able to go, you know, to, through the next step or, you know, through those gates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that most definitely happened for me um, in the most epic of proportions and uh, the amount of um, fear and doubt that was in my head because it was a lot of thinking that happened at that point, which is another sign. I wasn't deeply in my body, you know, at, at this particular phase of probably went on for an hour or two. But I was so scared. I was just, I was, I was so scared and, and I even, I, I kept quiet, didn't say anything to any of my birth team <clears throat> and then called Belinda into the bathroom with, without anyone else and said, like, is there any way, is there any way that I cannot go through with this? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, right, that's not rational right but but it's an example of how my brain actually wasn't rational (laughs) like um I'd labored you know for for so long and my body had done so much of the physical work of birthing and uh, Belinda was really supportive and listened and you know we talked through what it might look like you know if I was to go to hospital now and have an ambulance called and I mean, I definitely knew in my heart of hearts that I didn't want a hospital transfer, but the intensity psychologically was so great for me, and of course I created that for myself. <laughs> you know, the the the, uh, the thinking you know, and the fear. And so it was a real turning point to actually have had this short conversation with Belinda in the hospital, oh, excuse me, in the in the bathroom. And she she said, would you like me to, to check the dilation of your cervix? And so I d- chose that that was, decided that was a good idea. And surprise, surprise, I was 10 <laughs> centimetres. <laughs> And interestingly, this is really interesting, I did not feel or think relief, you know, or celebration because the the depth of the experience and the intensity and my, probably my brainwaves meant that I wasn't fully, um, there was something where I didn't quite get 
even what that meant, you know, I, and it's hard for me to even put that into words. Like what, what, what happened there? I didn't feel relief and yet my birth team were crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're almost there. <laughs> and, and then again, you know, I'm into the next chapter of birthing and there's this like um, experience of like, right, let's do this, you know, from the depths, I would say, you know, some like the deepest despair I've ever ever, 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 ever felt in my life to this, right, let's get this done. <laughs> let's get this done. <laughs> so I jumped into the birth pool and my contractions were still, I don't know, the minutes, but we're a fair way apart. And so when the contraction would come, I would get so hot in the water, my 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 body would feel so hot, I would just jump out of the pool <laughs> And then I'd be covered in water a fair time between contractions and I would become so cold. (laughs) So it was just an example of my body um, uh, not being able to find its centre with just the most basic thing, like um, feeling a a good level of warmth, you know, without without the really extreme extreme. So I jumped in and out of the pool, which was quite, comical um for a little while and then I looked at Belinda and said what what the what is happening (laughs) (laughs) and I said I just want to like I don't want to get in that pool anymore (laughs) That's, that's just not for me and even in retrospect I wouldn't um I wouldn't describe myself as really um, really watery, um, I'm much more earthy, you know. So so I put my knees down on a floor mattress, leaned over a bed um, and I said, like, Belinda, will I just push? Like, will I just push? I don't feel any real urge to push and I never actually felt that automatic, you know, reflex to, to or auto push. Mm. Um, and his... She said, yeah let's, let's, let, yeah, let's do it. So I, she suggested, and I, this is just an amazing way to open up the pelvis, she suggested that one of my knees is on the mattress and the other foot was raised. So my pelvis was extra, extra open. And to get to that position from two knees on the mattress, I'm saying, Belinda, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I don't think I can lift <laughs> my my foot. And she said, yes, you can. And then I did. <laughs> and that's a beautiful example of this steady, you know, incredible belief and real using really simple language with a mama deep in birthing. And then like what is, what is possible. So I um started pushing I felt I felt Ayla's head just a, a little bit of Ayla's head I was able to feel that with my own fingers and I remember that being this surge of like wow wow this is it's actually about to happen <laughs> that's a head <laughs> this is extraterrestrial you know and so um <laughs> 
I, at that point, so I remembered, um, you know, hearing of stories where the pushing phase, there was a second um, stage, can, can in some cases take a very, very long time. And I, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a deeply religious person, but I remember saying, listen, God, like I'm, do- I'm doing deals with God here. <laughs> this pushing is going to be quick, okay? It's going to be quick. <laughs> and, and then I start pushing and letting out this most momentous roar. Gosh, I'm, you know, living in an apartment with very thin walls and to the neighbours and, like, to really just not give, not care at all, like all um inhibitions were just gone by this stage it was just full power and I don't know if I said it out loud or if I was saying it in my head but but I was saying come on come on (laughs) like like being my own cheerleader you know and this baby's cheerleader and talking to like anyone on my team (laughs) know my past grandmother like anyone who was there to like barrack me on and and I also got this visual this is weird right of Leighton Hewitt now I'm not into (laughs) tennis at all but he's this tennis player from many moons ago who would scream come on (laughs) (laughs) so I I mean you know the depths the depths the depths of labor and I'm thinking about I don't even like tennis. Signature like hand movement that he used to do. Well, that's what I was. Whether I was doing it or whether it was in my (laughs) head visualizing it, because I probably needed my elbows on the bed at that point. (laughs) I'm not sure that I had spare hands, but (laughs) it was it was um, you know really comical looking back. I was not laughing at the time, but I was. I was really calling in the calling in the team, <laughs> you know, the power team. And so um, now, now I I expected her head to come out, and then her. Oh no! I'll backtrack a bit. So I'm I'm pushing, and I'm, I'm moaning like a lioness, and my and I'm sort of leaning forward over the bed, and my birth team are. You know, like a horseshoe kneeling behind me, and my I'm pushing and pushing, and my partner later says to me, he's like looking, oh wow, wow, the, wow, this baby is so brown. <laughs> <laughs> my partner's Indian, right? So we were never quite sure what version of cafe latte, you know, <laughs> like magical colouring this baby would have. But he's he's looking and leaning forward saying, wow, this baby's so brown. <laughs> <laughs> and it was not a super brown baby. It was the it was the pre baby coming out poop, you know? And <laughs> and I say this like I debated whether or not to share this detail because, you know, it's pretty personal. But in a way, it's also happens to so many women and it's rarely talked about but my birth team were just magnificent you know 
just <laughs> so smoothly and easily and swiftly just, you know, remove the poop and we're just still labouring, you know, with Leighton Hewitt in mind. And so... <laughs> right, it's so normal. It's, it's completely normal. It should be spoken. So normal. <laughs> so normal. Anything to make space, you know, for this epic um, descent of bub. Mm. That's it. And if that means the, the poop leaves the bowel, then so be it. <laughs> or the wee leaves the bladder, all that. So um, I, I was pushing and I want I my intention was for the for the pushes to be so powerful and for the, the push phase to be really swift and Ayla rather than her head coming out and then waiting for the next contraction and her body coming out she actually came out a whole kit and caboodle in one in one contraction mm. and uh, my, my partner sort of leaned forward and catch this floppy, jalopy, slippery, slippery, um, really slippery bubba. And and I was sort of caught up with the with the the cord was between my legs and we were it was quite um, awkward. This moment in time, this awkward <laughs> awkwardness. And so we untangled and you know and I cuddled bub and my um, uh, something else I very strongly recall you know in in this first phase post birth is I didn't feel that incredible elation and love hormone and ultra ultra you know connection with this with this new baby I I think I was actually in shock you know, the, the, I was looking up to the ceiling and doing this, like, ex, exhale breathing and um, I guess just trying to recover, you know, from the, from the epicness of the entire experience. But, but also the intensity of that pushing that I was doing um, myself you know, intentionally and um, effortfully. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a really, really special time. There's there's some, a, a two-minute piece of footage um, that's very wobbly and very dark in times with, with Ayla actually arriving this side of the cervix and... Um, some incredible photographs of this home birth room. There's affirmations all over the walls and fairy lights and candles and birth altar and birthing little active stations all around with birth balls, etc. So it it really was. Um, I mean, it was the end of a particular chapter, but I was also very aware that you know third stage still needed to happen. I didn't feel, you know, it felt far from sort of complete mm. for for me and um, we waited for quite a long time for the cord to be, you know, really cold um, and there was clearly no more blood was not pulsing from placenta to bub and uh, we cut the cord. I think it was B who cut the cord. I can't. 
actually recall. But it took some time for the placenta to come out. So I was walking and sitting on the toilet with a with a towel. Great technique to pop pop the towel a towel underneath the seat of a the toilet so that I could really like push and then the placenta would be caught in the towel in the toilet. It's just a good way to <clears throat> position the body for pushing. Mm. And uh, yeah, that went on for quite a while. And I remember not. I remember my focus was really on birthing this placenta, rather than you know my main focus on, on being on this new little baby. And I mean, she had suckled already on my on my breast, and I, you know, most certainly cuddled her and. Um, I just remember her just being so slimy, <laughs> so slimy and so slippery. And my sister did skin on skin with her while I was um, in the bathroom working mm-hmm. on my like placenta. But there were times little Layla was in my lap as well on the toilet breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So um, – Belinda helped the placenta out, actually, in the end. Did some, yeah, that's right, and it and it came away, and and uh, that was when the birthing experience felt like it had the chapter had had ended. That was really that was really quite an epic experience. Mm. <laughs> Wow, to have had, and 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 then later to find out that there was no physical, um, there was no physical damage. You know, I had an ever so slight graze that was a bit stingy with my first wee, but beyond that, you know, nothing. And so I feel really, I feel really grateful for, I feel really grateful for, for that. Um, <clears throat> Mm, especially considering kind of pushing without having that urge and and with such strength and <laughs> determination mm. and her being mm. born so quickly, that's amazing. Mm. 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 That's right. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Mm, beautiful. And, um, yeah, you've sort of said you didn't have that kind of initial strong kind of, you know, love bombing with the baby. Mm. Um, did that sort of kick in for you or was it more of a slow burn as the days went on? So it did, it, it's, it's certainly, so she was born around 4pm and I remember that night, just it was the first time that she and I had time alone that evening and just I was looking into her eyes and, you know, talking about this incredible journey that both that both she and I had shared, and also had, you know, quite separately. And uh, yeah, I remember that being that being a bit like a like a milestone of connection, a, a time that I I felt, you know, the depth of of connection really coming in. And that first week being on just such a high and um, I made a I made a little film about the birth and 
my first week of life during that week and I don't think I slept a great deal actually. Breastfeeding was very, very straightforward and um, I spent a lot of time in bed. I had lots of lots of support at home, beautiful, like incredible friends bought um, food for myself and family. It was I remember it being a a really really special week of um, endorphins and and connection. And then uh, it was around about day nine that I I recall it was a bit like a cloud arrived and 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 was was you know highly anxious for a, intensely for a few weeks <clears throat> beyond that and you know i think it's I, I never expected that you know i i had i had thought that my my birthing preparation and my incredible support team and i i, I just assumed that i wouldn't be one to have Anxiety as I did, and but I did, and so it was. Was really, I mean, again, looking back now, a few years later, it it was a, a time of my, uh, a, like the physical body hormones, but so much else too, like like everything coming back to center, but my identity just completely dissolved I felt like I you know fell off any sort of perch that I had of um any sort of pedestal (laughs) that I'd put myself on in any way and it was a real falling from grace and a deep phase of feeling a new level of compassion for myself and a new love for my loved ones and um and I also remember a lot of grief as well, like tears pouring out of me and um, the sort of grief at the cycle of life and it really was an epic time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt sort of, um, oh, gosh, strangely, it, gosh, it was a strange time. I felt, you know, deeply anxious and I felt strangely enlightened you know at the same time and um my heart was just so so open and my love of life and humanity was so great and yet I also felt you know not worthy of any of it at the same time as well and um, so much wanting to sort of hold on to each miniature, miniature phase and moment with Ayla and realising at this at this deep level that life goes on and separation happens and, and growth is this natural part of life. It was, it was like this embodied philosophical... <laughs> <laughs> really deep experience I mean deeper than I've ever 
ever, ever, ever had before. I, I and I felt a little bit, um, I felt a bit crazy, you know, in the in the mix of it too. And I, I felt a bit worried about sharing any of this with anyone. And I even had this thought of, well, what if, you know, what if my baby's taken away from me? You know, what if I'm committed? So there was a lot of like committed to an asylum. I, I, I was. It was a. It was a really epic time, and now I see it as coming back to my centre after this incredible. I mean, nine months experience of growing a baby, birthing a baby, and and coming into this new, incredible new phase of life. And I, I questioned a lot of things, you know, after after birth, around what's most important to me and yeah it was it was very it's a treasured experience and uh, for me and uh and a very very challenging <laughs> deeply 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 challenging experience as well and i i'm not sure what i would do differently again like in that in that phase because i did have a lot of support but i also felt very very alone mm. you know in those in those weeks, and I say that the intensity of anxiety lasted for around three weeks, but it took some time to really come out of that dark hole slash um, blissful state. <laughs> like it came. It it took many many. I'd say months. You know, to to really come back to feeling. Um, full and whole and myself I mean not that I ever felt myself again like before because I was, felt a bit like a new person but I think my my sharing there is for women and families you know to know that 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 phase beyond birth is is incredibly unique and 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 may feel really really new and and when I did finally share with my partner the, the depth and diversity of what was happening for me, and he totally understood, <laughs> he totally got it. And I was completely met and not, you know, put in a psych ward. I, wow, that it was a real relief to feel that um, team. Mm. Um, oh, that was really heartbreaking to hear that fear about, you know, feeling like you were crazy and like you might have mm. your baby taken away from you because, you know, it's, yeah, as you said perfectly, it's just such a massive adjustment and journey of coming back into, you know, new, new reality and new space as a, as a mother and, you know, yeah, becoming this new person and letting go of everything that was before and dealing with, yeah, that massive realisation of how fleeting time is with this tiny human that's just literally growing up and changing and in, right in front of your eyes. Yeah, it's such a sensitive time and, yeah, heart, heartbreaking that you or and, and others probably mm. go through that time feeling like they can't be honest about you, you know, the depths of the highs and the lows that they're experiencing because it is 
it is and it can be not normal for sure mm, and, and mm, some people do mm. need help and and you can't yeah. you don't know where you are at that time <laughs> you yes. don't know whether you're at the bit that needs help or the bit that doesn't need help but I think being supported is just and you know should be a non-negotiable supported through whatever it is that you're feeling mm. yes yes absolutely it's it's um <laughs> completely it's still you know a a a, a fairly hidden, fairly untalked about phase of a woman or a, or a family's life. That phase, you know, the fourth trimester, the the few months post a new baby coming into the world. It's it's a secret business in many ways, and and even though I felt that I'd done you know, just so much chatting to friends and reading books and watching the most incredible documentaries and having a feeling of sort of prepared for anything <laughs> in in the in pregnancy, in the birthing and, and in new mamahood, there is nothing quite like the the actual experience in the moment to moment within my body, my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's it that's another reminder for me that that there there's a, a definitely you know preparation and readiness there there's there is a place for that in different ways for different times of our life and there's and there's something certainly that can't be um prepared for you know either in the mix mm mm yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Oh gosh, and um, <laughs> we're just about out of time. But would you like to share just a little bit about um, maybe what you've taken away? You know, it's quite an unusual birth experience and a and a huge spiritual and emotional journey since then. I imagine it's absolutely massive. But would you like to share a little bit about? Um, what kind of what you've taken away from that experience and being pregnant again, um, you know, what that experience means for you going into birth again. Mm. Yeah, epic question. I, I, more than ever before, I'm a real advocate for informed choice for me personally and I mean that's certainly one of the reasons why I wanted to share my story you know on your podcast and and have some others listen to that story because because there's so much um there's so much empowerment possible in informed choice, whatever the, 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 the final choosing may be, you know, in any context, but knowing about the choices that we are making as much as we can, as much as we possibly can, you know, is a is a real gift to ourselves and I think there's, and to our next generation, of course, a <laughs> gift to the next generation, uh, birthing, birthing you know generally across the globe is 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 often a 
an experience that's quite medicalized and and there's and there's something else that's really really possible and and there's just so many gifts in having a team there's so many gifts that I felt in having a team behind me who were fully fully backing me and that I really really trusted so I'm certainly going about you know doing my best to create that for for this next home birth for this for this little one yeah I could say <laughs> I could say so much more but I think in informed choice and 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 through that informed choice also going with the gut having that time to to sink into our own um truth and knowing as well like remembering that that we are part of a long 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 ancestral line of women who have birthed and that there is an intelligence there that often is disregarded within the intelligence within mm. 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 Yeah, gorgeous mm. Well, um, yeah, it's such a pleasure to hear your story and to be able to share this one. It's, um, yeah, it's always lovely to be able to share stories that um, are different because, you know, it's just a reminder that each individual birth and each individual birthing person is going to be completely different and, um, yeah, really beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Thanks, Indy. Thanks so much for the for the gift that you're giving to the world really for sharing home birthing stories and and such a wide range of home birthing stories too it's beautiful thank you for listening into today's episode with lulu you can find some photos from from her birth on the website which is keepbirthwild.com.au or on instagram at keepbirthwild.podcast And you can also find some links to resources that Lulu found helpful preparing for her birth on my website. And I look forward to bringing you another episode next week.